This is Robert Mardlachi of the Mindshare Learning Report, Canada's Learning and Technology e-magazine. And welcome to this week in Canadian NetTech Special Edition Mindshare TV Innovators podcast series, episode number three, featuring our co-author, Dr. Bobby Kershan, and our guests, Maya Sharpley and Lisa Green-Hall, for an inspirational conversation with these three outstanding leaders and innovators. And I just happen to have this book by my side. Uh, Dr. Bobby Kershen. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. We're glad to be Thank here. You. Thank you for inviting us. Bobby, perhaps you can uh, take the baton and uh, talk about the inspiration and in bringing Maya and, uh, and Lisa onto the show and, and into the book. Great. Well, we're glad to be here. And as you said, this is the third episode. And we decided to pick a theme for each of the episodes. And we decided from looking at the women in the book that the theme this week would be around fundraising and investment and how do you get into it? How do you do it? And what are some of the special needs to understand if you're going to do impact investment? Both Maya and Lisa have been friends of mine for quite some time. We've gone through our journeys together and that we all have interesting journeys together. And I thought they would have a lot to share and give to the other innovators listening. And so I'm gonna let them each introduce themselves. So first I'm gonna start with Maya and why don't you introduce and give us a little background. Great, thanks so much, Bobby. And thank you, Robert, for having me. Thrilled to be here. Um, and good, Lisa, good to see you again. My name is Maya Sharpley and I actually have, I think, a very circuitous route into investing. I actually started off my career as a consultant and management consultant strategy work, was working my way you know, up the ladder, loved the intellectual challenge, loved working with teams, loved solving big problems, but the travel started to kill me. And so through a series of serendipitous events, I uh, found myself on the other side and found myself as an operator, first in New York City with uh, Joel Klein when he was chancellor under Mayor Mike and did that and then at Kaplan and a few other places. And uh, you know, loved building and running businesses and solving problems and creating things. But it was during uh, my time at Kaplan where I uh, ran the EdTech Accelerator that we created in partnership with Techstars and Bobby, that's where you and I met. And that's when I kind of shifted over from building and running to helping others build and run businesses. And through a series of uh, you know, other serendipitous events, found myself um, initially as a partner at Learn Capital, um, you know, on the other side of the table, investing in just amazing entrepreneurs who are trying to uh, change the world. And so did that. Uh, then uh, with a buddy of mine, created another uh, brief venture uh, firm, and now I'm out on my own uh, doing it again. So it's kind of a circuitous route, but behind it all, it's about solving problems. Um, it's about changing the world and really thinking about what does the future look like and how do we actually get there um, effectively, efficiently, and um, you know, it, it, with fun, having fun as we do it. Maya and Lisa have both been great mentors to all the women coming up through this field. So I'm going to let Lisa tell you her story. And we probably go back even further than Maya. The first time we met was when I was running Kariki and we were looking for community funding. Somebody suggested we connect and she was. At I remember Kariki yeah. very well. Kudos to you for that. As of course do I. And 
my thanks as well to uh, you, Robert and Bobby for having us on the show and great to see you again, Maya. Um, you know, my path to investing in some ways was traditional um, because I started off as a banker uh, at a bank uh, known as Chemical Bank, a, a legacy bank to J.P. Morgan Chase. It doesn't exist anymore as so many banks do not. But uh, I was doing affordable housing lending, making loans to affordable housing developers. And really, it was the first time very early in my career that I understood this intersection of traditional finance and doing good for others. And I really have followed that path, which is the more um, non-traditional part of my background and my path on investing. And over the years, I've worked in various roles in the government, um, was with the Clinton administration, working on something called the New Markets Initiative, which is a program that still exists today, 20 years later, um, that, that creates a tax credit incentive for people to invest in underserved low-income communities. Um, and then from there, spent time at Fannie Mae at a nonprofit uh, intermediary for affordable housing called Enterprise Community Partners, um, and ultimately uh, landed at Calvert Impact Capital, which is a pioneer in what we now call impact investing. Um, at the time I joined, it was called community investing um, and really is this way of investing and approach to investing that allows you to get a return on your capital. So you actually make money. Um, and at the same time, you create some type of social or environmental benefit. Um, and that's really been the work that I've done for the last 15 years. Currently, I'm with a private equity firm known as Apollo Global Management and am involved in uh, our impact strategy, uh, investing in companies uh, here in the US as well as in Europe um, that are creating some type of social return or social impact or environmental return or environmental impact. Uh, so that's a little bit about my path. Amazing. Well, you both have interesting paths here. Robert, do you want to start? Yeah, talk to me about the your entrepreneurial mindset and how that evolved uh, in your career. Yeah, Maya, uh, Maya you, you take yeah. you take yeah. off. Uh, you know, I I think it's uh, I don't know if it was really conscious. It certainly wasn't a conscious journey. It's kind of as you look back, you realize, oh, okay, this is this is what it is. But um, I've always been in areas where I've been problem solving and kind of given these huge, large challenges, whether it's in consulting or building businesses or now helping others. And, um, you know, the ability to say, okay, um, how do we, you know, how do we reimagine the future? How do we find the square corners around it? How do we make sure that we're focused on the right things? So the perseverance, the, um, you know, the, the preference for risk, taking calculated risks and saying, okay, what makes sense and what doesn't and how, you know, how do we adjust on the fly? Um, I think it's been something that have always been part of my ethos. And I've been very fortunate that I've actually worked with uh, and for uh, amazing leaders who have helped 
you know, it trained me in that way and kind of give me the guardrails or the, the teachings and the kudos or the attaboys or the, well, maybe do it differently this time, next time. Right. And so I've been very fortunate to have that kind of leadership and mentorship around me um, to kind of hone it, I guess, hone those, hone those skills and, and that preference. Lisa, thank you for that. How did you grow into entrepreneurship? I've been referred to uh, as a social entrepreneur being in that tech. Mm -hmm. I, how does that resonate? So I think social entrepreneurism and social enterprise um, is really one of the best ways to approach some of these, you know, really difficult uh, challenges that we have around climate, uh, around affordable housing, around uh, investing in underserved communities. And, and for me, entrepreneurism has always been about opportunity, right? I think there's an important element to innovation and entrepreneurism, which is seeing where the, the opportunity can be and being willing to take that calculated risk, as Maya described it, to go after that opportunity. It's, you know, the, the uh, saying always resonates with me, you want to skate to where the puck is going, mm -hmm. right? Not to where the puck is. Um, and I think the entrepreneurial spirit uh, is one where you have that confidence and you have that passion to go where the puck is headed um, and you're able to see it and, and pursue it. Lisa, that resonates very well with me because I played hockey with the guy that coined that ah. race, Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I think I have the sign in my co-working space. So, wow, we didn't even... Uh, I didn't even prompt you for that one. That, yeah, we didn't impressive. plan that. <laughs> I just played hockey yesterday, but uh, thank you for that. All the, and I use that phrase yeah. all the time when I'm talking. And I didn't know it was from Wayne Gretzky. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> there you Absolutely. Go. Over yeah. to you, Bobby. Yeah. So Lisa and Maya, I know you all have really feel important about the impact that people are making. And as you look for people to invest in or to mentor, what is it of their entrepreneurial mindset or what of their personality? What do you look for as you invest in something? You know, when you ask an investor, what are the top three things they look for? What do you look for? Yeah. Well, I think it's always about the people, right? And I, I particularly like investing in women, in women-led organizations, in uh, enterprises and businesses that are serving women. Um, and 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 the the top three things that I'm looking for that I think you know women are particularly good at is the ability to problem solve. Um, we do it in so many elements of our lives, whether it's at home or it's at work um, or if it's in the community, we're just excellent problem solvers. Um, I think there's also something about the persistence and determination and grit would be the second component or second um, important attribute that I look for. You know, is there evidence that the entrepreneur, the, you know, the business owner has been willing to stick with it over time, whether it's an idea that they've stuck with or a business, you know, at Apollo now, uh, our strategy involves uh, buying out companies that are often family owned and have, you know, had many, many decades of, of sticking with an idea uh, or a business. Um, and then, you know, I think the third piece that women are also really great at is being flexible or adaptable, willing to adjust. 
Um, because, you know, we live in a very fast paced world, right? And when you are trying to problem solve, when you're sticking with it, you can't always stay on the exact same course that you started, right? You have to be able to uh, go on winding paths and you can only do that if you're flexible and adjustable. So I, I would so say they're not the only three things that I think are important, but they're three of the key factors in success. And Maya, what about your three factors? Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> we kind of covered it, um, but um, I agree with that. I guess you know, obviously, the entrepreneur and is is the most important thing when I'm investing. You know, I want to make sure they're investing in a space that's growing, not shrinking and, and all of these other things. Um, but as I look at the actual founders, um, I'm looking for that kind of intelligence and vision. So, you know, how are they seeing things? How do they break things down? How do they problem solve? Um, how nimble, how agile are they Are they as they think about the challenges and also how realistic so that intelligence is how realistic are you? And that gets to kind of the calculated risk. I'm taking a calculated risk, are they? Um, the second thing that I would say to Lisa's point is perseverance or determination, right? So someone that will stay the course, that will find new ways to break through that wall, to break down barriers, to achieve um, what they set out to do. But with that, it's not a blind perseverance or a blind mm -hmm. determination. Um, what I've always told my teams, and I look for this in others, is I want you to fail fast, right? If you're going to go through the wall, it may or may not work, but I want, and you're going to fail. I want to see not how you fail, but how you get up, how you pick yourself up and keep going or readjust or pivot. So having that ability to fail fast alongside of the determination, not someone who's constantly pivoting, that's not good, <laughs> but knowing what, when it's a real pivot and when it's just pick yourself up and try it differently, right? Um, so, and, and the third piece I look for is their, their empathy and the team. So, you know, how, how, how well do they listen? How well do they bring others along? How well do they reach out and ask for help? How well do they take that advice and decide, not that they have to take all of it, but they've thought it through and they've actually listened and decided, yep, this is the piece of advice I want to take. And this is the piece of advice that doesn't work for me and have like the time and the, the humility to do that. And so I'd say those are the three things that I look for. Ditto. Well, I agree with all of those. <laughs> we all picked out the main things of the book, which we've discussed in the first podcast, but the empathy, the calculated risk, the, the confidence to solve problems and make changes and admit when you've done something wrong and fail and pivot. I think women, as you said, Lisa, do it very well because they're flexible and they calculate the change and the pivot, but they are also willing to make a change and see that we're going down a path that isn't straight. Um, along with that, as you know from the book, women return more, more, more on the dollar than men do, almost twice as much as men do on the dollar from investment. Why do you think that is and why aren't they getting more investment if that is the case? I, I think part of the reason why that is, is because of the characteristics that both Lisa and I just mentioned, right? That women generally have more of those care, that, that kind of EQ, that ability to fail fast, that ability to listen, to pull others into the, into the, to leave the ego on the doorstep and just to get the job done. And so, um, you know, their results and their returns and their ability to lead a team 
um, I think, and have people on the team that are smarter than they are, which is what I always look for. Like, I want people smarter than I am <laughs> who can in their respective Absolutely. roles. And so women, <laughs> women, I think, uh, are generally just society conditioned to kind of take that step back. We can argue if that's right or wrong or up and down, but, you know, socially um, that helps. Um, you know, I, yeah. I at least I, I leave it to you to why we're not as well financed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's very interesting because it's like two sides of the same coin, right? Okay. I think women are really good about calculating risk and tend to be a little bit more conservative as business owners about how much leverage to put yeah. on or, you know, how far to go with new product development uh, as just two examples. And, and that can be a good thing for a business because it makes it more stable, makes earnings more stable, uh, leads to, you know, more profitability over time. But, but it also means that we're not as aggressive in going after the investments, right? And, and, and positioning companies in a way that are going to make them appear, uh, you know, of, of interest to investors. I, I liken it a lot to uh, the research that's been done about women in corporate America where you know women will not apply for jobs unless they feel like they have all the qualifications whereas men will look at a job opening and see that they have one or two qualifications out of a list of 10 and they'll apply because they're like well i can figure out how to do the rest right like i'll i'll i'll, I'll get there on the other eight qualifications <laughs> but um women are are less likely i think uh to 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 take that leap of, you know, we can make a business work in the way that it, it needs to aggressively um, and are, are much more likely to take calculated risks that in the end are good good for the business and lead to the better returns. You both pointed out two of the data points from our research very well. One being that women have this imposter syndrome, so they don't apply or they, even though they could probably get more funding, the data is somewhat skewed because they don't apply as often. So therefore, those that do apply are at the top of the scale, so they're likely to get better returns. So we need to get more women that have that imposter syndrome or that syndrome to apply. The second thing that we found in the book, and you all also just confirmed it, was that the interpersonal sensitivity of women actually contributes to their ability to make better teams and to have their teams work with them for longer periods of time collaborate more. And the one that was most interesting is women fire people better than men because they, um, because they look at the person, they look at their team and they always start out by saying, you know, I'm not doing this be to hurt you. I'm doing this to help you. You're not a fit. Let me know. Let me tell you what you can do and you're not helping the business and I'm not, and you're not helping yourself men. And they don't do it in a mean way. They just have a different filter. They will often say I'm reorganizing and you don't fit. It's what they need, not what the person that they're talking to need. So that probably both of those factors and many more, of course, contribute to this lack of women, even thinking they should apply for investment. Or, or waiting to do it. More women startups bootstrap longer and and before they actually go after money. 
most uh, there's a joke in Israel that people don't start a company by saying, what, what am I going to do? They start by saying, what's my exit strategy? So they, it's a mentality completely um, because it's a startup, you know, nation over there. And so it's a, and women don't have that mentality. When I asked you along those same lines, one, one, I think we have time for a couple more questions. Yeah, but one other thing, when I asked you, what is it that you personally want to see as you're mentoring women and why do you mentor women and what is it that you want them to get from your mentoring and what do you want them to do as a mentee? Hmm. We, we spent a lot of time talking about manners and just as another data point of the women in the book, we asked you all whether your mother or your father was your mentor or role model and almost 99% of the women in the book said as an entrepreneur, their mother was their mentor. As a leader, their father was their mentor. So interestingly, what do you think you need to help mentor, mentees learn? Yeah, I, I'm glad to, to take a stab at that. I, you know, for me, what I'm always interested in is thoughtfulness, right? And, you know, I love spontaneity as well. But in terms of uh, being a mentee, I really appreciate when someone has reflected, given it thought about, you know, whether it's what they want in their career, you know, long term, or if it's a specific opportunity, or maybe they're just having challenges with the team dynamic, but, but they have given it their own thought and their own reflection before they've come to me. Uh, and I, I, I do find it more challenging to work with mentees when they just come with a problem, right? Like, I, I feel like even um, as, a, as a manager, as I, I like to call myself an entrepreneur, someone who's been entrepreneurial within large organizations, I, I think it's always incumbent on the person that has the problem they're trying to figure out to give it some thought before they come to you to ask for help. And, and, you know, sometimes you give it thought and you don't come up with the right answer, which is why you need help from somebody else. But it just, to me, is a reflection of you care just so much about your career or the problem that you're trying to fix uh, as you want me to care about it. And, and so I think that that's an important thing for mentees to consider as, as they're working with their mentors. I think I agree with that. Um, what I would also what I would also add and what I look for is that someone's coming with them their whole selves. So a lot of times people just come because, as Lisa mentioned, I have a problem. Can you help me solve it? They never come with what did I do right? Or let me tell you about my wins or let me tell you about my victories or, you know, here's what happened at home. Here's what happened in my personal life. Here's what happened uh, yesterday or here's how my mom or my dad are doing. And so, you know, those people who actually come with their whole selves, both the wins and the losses, you know, the professional and the personal, you actually get to know them better and you can actually help them and be more, you can help the whole person instead of just a targeted, oh, well, maybe you should talk to your boss in this way, or did you think of writing this email, or maybe you should, right? That to me is a very transactional relationship versus or a very transactional um, interaction versus actually building a relationship. So I look for those mentees, or I, I think um, I enjoy mentoring most 
those mentees who actually come with their whole selves, good, bad, and the ugly, um, and are willing to, you know, share their wins and their losses and, and really kind of put the, their whole self forward in, in a constructive way. <laughs> I think one of the things I've learned, and Lisa and I have kind of reached this place, I think sometimes the mentor and the mentee switch roles and you are the Absolutely. mentee. And, and so I think women are more fluid at doing that. They don't have any ownership of what, what position they're in. And um, I know over my, the course of my friendship with Lisa, we, I went to her to get help when I was raising money. She's come to me on things she's done and she's changed her career. So we've switched roles and who's been the mentor and the mentee. Absolutely. Um, and I think that women are more likely to do that so that they ultimately with many of my men, mentees or mentors, I, I end up becoming really good friends with them because as Maya pointed out, you learn to share those kind of things. So it becomes more than just a question that you're getting help on. And they tend to be my best mentor relationships and mentee. Absolutely. And, and I think as part of our future and, and you know, we, we're all struggling with, with uh, HR challenges and, and, and finding talent. And we spend a lot of time doing work, integrated learning, internships, co-ops, uh, we have a women ICT program that we, where we mentored uh, university students. And at the completion of the program, we hire them full time. How important are these sorts of initiatives in, going into the future uh, from your perspective, uh, Lisa? That's a great question. And since you both are at workshops for women, how important do you think there are needed, as Robert said, initiatives that address women's needs? <laughs> yeah. No, I think they're really, they're critical. I think that it, it, it's about creating opportunities for people to build relationships, um, but also to learn, right? To learn subject matter, to uh, learn just the language. I mean, you know, I, I've been in finance in one form or fashion now for over 25 years, and yet when I got to uh, Apollo, at, you know, a relatively large private equity firm, I, it was like a new language. And it was really important for, you know, even at this stage of my career to have onboarding sessions, to sit in, you know, conversations and, you know, they weren't formal trainings, but they were opportunities to learn. And so I think, you know, for people earlier in their career, having those formal internships and programs and retreats and training that allows people uh, to learn both their organization and content and relationships, all of that is really important to success. I would agree. I think that there's a lot of focus oftentimes on learning the quote unquote hard skills. And we forget that uh, it's actually the soft skills that will generally take you further and allow for grace while you're learning those hard skills. And so having those opportunities and those forms is super important. Um, I recently completed my Kaufman Fellowship. And so having that group of people, the Kaufman Fellows overall globally, but also the women's group are where you can, you know, ask questions on the hard skills, but also talk about some of the softer skills or some of the different approaches or how do you or what did you or did this work? And so having that network and that support system is what, you know, I think if you throw yourself into it and others do as well, you become this support system for each other. And having that that network is so crucial, um, especially for women or people of color. 
With that, Maya, Lisa, Bobby, I think that concludes uh, this episode of uh, Innovators uh, podcast series. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Uh, we'll let you get back to your conferences. Uh, Bobby, any final thoughts to share? No, but thank you both Lisa and Maya for being good friends and also part of the Innovate Hearst journey that I took. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Really Thanks appreciate again. it. That was the Mindshare Innovate Hearst podcast series with Dr. Bobby Kershan and Maya Sharpley and Lisa Hall. My name is Robert Mertlachi, and until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and keep the learning curve steep.